0: You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it the wrong
1: way. This is Play-By-Play Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Okay. Nobody's fact-checking it. Just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all camera right john sure i did all right because the red light was not on the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster
0: oh you can stick me in some kind of italian boat because that one is gondola
1: now from new york really all the big ones are from new york your host joe godet it's still joel yeah he will
0: not be able to see very well cotton
1: Hey, we're 156 episodes in to Play by Playcast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download. However, you have found this here podcast, be it on iTunes, Stitcher, be it on Apple Podcasts. iTunes is not a thing, or at least it's going to not be a thing. Uh, but wherever you have found. This here podcast, you can also find it on social media at PXPCast or me at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. And by the way, I'm Joel Godet, and this is a podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by one a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, presses, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Last week, our guest was Tony Castricone from the Washington Huskies. Sam Levitt from the Amarillo Sod Poodles the week prior. um, And then Dean Ellis from the Iowa Cubs. And if you have not heard it yet, Kevin Harlan was our guest on episode number 152. Do go back and uh, listen to that conversation uh, if you missed any of it. Sam Farber is our guest today. And he's a guy that's got a little bit of a different perspective than those that we uh, usually talk to on this podcast. Sam and I first met last year at the CrossFit Games. Um... When you're on the broadcast team at the CrossFit Games, a lot of the people that are on the broadcast team are former CrossFit athletes. Like the analysts, obviously, Annie Sakamoto, one of the original Nasty Girls, um, Dan Bailey, games athlete, had been hurt, uh, Chase Ingram, uh, former games athlete, uh, but even like, you know, some of the play by play guys like Sean Woodland, who we've had on the podcast. Um, big dude like not a crossfit games athlete himself but like looks like he could be one sam and i felt like a kinship with because we just looked like normal guys uh so you're like we're we're in this media room and just sam and i looked like people you would meet at the gym when you went at home and uh I think I felt better about myself because of it <laughs> when when I'm looking around and I'm very much the smallest person in any of these rooms. Um but a uh, really good broadcaster and uh, it was good to get to meet him because he was a name that I had been very aware of since I had graduated college and we had kind of come up the ranks similar time frames. Sam is a couple years older than me, but I'd seen his name I think on like STAA a couple of times when he got some jobs early in his career and the name Sam Farber was always one that was just on my radar. Uh, so when I showed up at the games and there he was, fellow broadcaster, I was like, "Cool, my guy." Because that's one of those you identify uh, when when you uh, when you when you see your your uh, your tribe um, when you're uh, out covering an event. So. Uh, so that is the foreground for this conversation you're about to hear. But Sam is interesting. He is one of the most noted voices in the city of Los Angeles. and was actually listed amongst the 10 best play-by-play announcers in the best of Los Angeles list. And the highest ranking one that does not have a team. Brian Seaman was number one, friend of the pod. Uh, The voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, Joe Davis, friend of the pod, uh, was number two. The television voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. But uh, there was Sam Farber on that list. I believe he was eighth on that list. Doing it by mixing together a host of different freelance assignments. For Fox Sports and for ESPN and for CrossFit and on down the line and has called anything from, you know, basketball and football to volleyball and rock climbing in that mix as well so we'll talk about the leap of faith that sam had to make going from a minor league baseball career into this freelance world where you have to put all of these pieces together and what it's like to make that jump and how you do it successfully but we'll also talk about the high school component of what he does we don't have a lot of conversations on this podcast about broadcasting high school sports Sam does it at a very high level televised high school football in the Los Angeles area. That's big time eyeballs on that product. Um, How do you get prepared to broadcast a high school game versus a college game or a pro game where the information is plentiful and the stats are reliable? It's a different type of challenge, so we'll get into that with Sam Farber on this podcast as well, and of course our uh, good old Reliables, uh, how he prepares, and how much stuff he watches back, and what makes a good broadcast, uh, and so on, etc. But where we start with Sam is with his college selection, because Sam is a Southern Californian born and raised, and he did his undergrad at George Washington. Let's start there, with Sam Farber. You're on PXPcast.
0: When I was coming out of high school, you know, I was a, a Northern California kid, so I, you know, wasn't really thinking. Let's go somewhere where there isn't a lawn or a football team or you know that classic college type campus. Um, but I have two younger siblings, and uh, I was applying to places that had pretty good journalism schools. USC was my number one. No offense to you as a Syracuse guy, I love Syracuse <laughs> too, but USC was my number one. I got in there, but I got into GW with some scholarship money. And when we were doing the numbers, you know, my parents were like, "Look, you know, we we can get you to USC, but it would be better for everyone if you." took advantage of a scholarship and it ended up being the best thing for me because instead of going somewhere where there was a very well-established big time journalism program where you really have to fight for reps, I went somewhere where it was you know, kind of an up and coming, really at that time it was just getting underway journalism program where I could call my own shots and uh, it let me really immerse myself there. And then when I did go to USC for grad school, I I was ready to work.
1: And that was Pops Mensabansu, too. So, like, you were there for the, the height of it, weren't you?
0: Oh, my God. I went for the greatest era of GW basketball ever. We did get screwed in tournament seating. That was <laughs> that was very unfortunate. But, yes, uh, Nana Papaya, Duaney Mensabansu, better known as Pops, his four years corresponded with mine. Uh, Mike Hall was there. Uh, Danilo Pinnock. Uh, some really, really good players and some really fun teams. And, being at the student radio station the whole time and doing some stuff for the, uh, the, the normal broadcast for GW uh, was just a thrill. I mean, that's really where, you know, I, uh, I started to fall in love with, with broadcasting and being involved in these big games. And I think if those guys had not been there, maybe things would have gone differently because, I mean, GW, it's kind of an up and down program. They, they, you know, hit their highs and they'll, you know, do well in NIT or they'll go to the tournament but then they've got these stretches where they're just kind of middle of the pack at best. So I, you know, maybe if I'm there and they're just middle of the pack, I don't have as good a reel when I'm coming out and I don't have uh, as maybe as much fun with those experiences as I got to have.
1: Yeah. That's what you've got to be thinking too, while you're doing it is like this NCAA tournament is going to sound great on a demo. (laughs) I
0: I don't know if I was thinking of it that, you know, specifically, (laughs) but I did think, you know, like it, 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 helps you fall in love with the business and those high highs. And it's fun to have those examples early. Um, It's it can also be a bit misleading, too, quite frankly, because, you know, when I got out of undergrad and went to grad school at USC, I worked for uh, a Big West program, Cal State Northridge, doing women's basketball and uh, doing baseball. And the baseball program was terrible year after year after year. I guess it was only there two years, so year after year, and then the the women's basketball. I'm sorry, the dogs are barking in the background. Sorry about that.
1: No, you're good. they exist. It's a podcast. They exist.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. The uh. You know. The basketball program was was okay. Um. Never really made the tournament, but you know. I, I think you know, as a broadcaster, having those early moments that are really high highs, you know, kind of. Just makes you again. You, it makes you fall in love with it a little bit more, and um, you know. But you do need to get exposed to what the other side of it is like, because you know most teams don't have those big moments. Certainly not year after year.
1: So you graduate from that. You go to grad school at USC. Uh, you venture out into the world. You started really in minor league baseball too. Was that not your like? Was that your main source of income, so to speak? Your main job right out the bat?
0: Pretty much, yeah. I had um, a a news anchor job right out of grad school, but you know, one of the best things really about being at GW um, was the the sports director, or maybe it was the pro, uh, the station director when I was a freshman or sophomore. Was a guy named Brett Kaplan, great guy. Still keep in touch with him today. He actually works for MLB um, in you know their interactive media. I mean, he, he's a he's a superstar. But he had gotten an internship at uh, a double A team between D.C. and Annapolis, Maryland, called the Bowie Bay Sox, who just so happened not to have a radio broadcast. So he said, "Well, look, I'm manager of this student station. We don't do anything all summer. How about we do a couple of games?" Uh, so that started to happen. By the time I was going into my junior year, I was the sports director, and I went around to the powers that be at the team and with our school and said, "You know what? Why why can't we do all the home games? And then why can't we do?" all the games period. And, you know, we had great administrators who wanted to give us opportunities. And so, you know, I was 20, 21 years old in college and doing 70 minor league baseball games every summer. I I thought it was the best thing ever. So get going out of grad school. I wanted to get back to that. I was lucky to get kind of a semi internship as the number two guy in Colorado Springs. I'm uh, in AAA in the Pacific Coast League, and relationships there helped me get a job in the California League and in Inland Empire, where the number one job was open, and I was there for, I think, four full seasons, and it, it was just great.
1: Uh, what, uh, I guess, what was the end goal, or what was the end game? How did you, like, were you at that point in time, hey, I'm going to climb the minor league baseball ladder, or, or where was your mind fixated early in your career?
0: It kind of fluctuated when I was at GW and I, you know, really started to get into being a play-by-play announcer. I thought, you know, my best sport is basketball because that's what I'm doing all the time. And I, you know, I'm getting good feedback. I'm feeling good about this. So that's where I'll end up. Then when I got out of grad school and didn't find my way into, you know, being the voice of a a Pac-10 or 12 program right away, but was finding success with baseball and doing a lot of it, I thought, well, this is the ladder I'm going to end up climbing. And it's funny. It seems like every four or five years, I feel like maybe I'm in a lane that's going to lead me to that big, you know, you know, one-of-a-kind opportunity. And then a slightly better opportunity opens up in a different lane. And I don't hop off the one I'm in, but I, I kind of extend a leg and, and, and ride two bikes at the same time. So, <laughs> you know, out of undergrad, I thought it was going to be basketball. Out of grad school, I thought it was going to be baseball. And now, uh, you know, maybe it'll be CrossFit or maybe who who knows what it'll be. But, um, you know, I've just been lucky to succeed as much as I have.
1: When did you take the jump? Because um, you obviously do a ton of different things for a ton of different people now. And you've been able to – cobble together is the wrong word. But you've been able to put together a bunch of different things to create one full-time career, so to speak. Um, When did you – take the leap of faith and what is that leap of faith like to say i'm going to leave a job that has me calling 140 games a year where i've got an office maybe and like something steady and venture out and put together all of these other things and and employ myself so to speak
0: probably coincided with getting married because the minor league baseball lifestyle you know i'm I'm still nostalgic a little bit about riding buses and, and certainly love being with the team just a little, you know, for the full summer, just a little bit on the buses. I, you know, now I, I appreciate that I don't have to ride the buses so much, but you know, there is something uh, maybe romantic about being that embedded uh, with a team year after year, you know, that boulderum lifestyle. lifestyle. Um, but, you know, when I got married, you know, my, my wife and I, we live in Orange County, California um it's an expensive place to live minor league baseball doesn't pay a ton and i did have some opportunities you know doing web tv things or you know just just getting involved in some different projects so before we got married my second to last season of the minors i kind of asked my bosses like look can i not be a salesperson anymore and try and take advantage of some other things and i don't think they minded at all because i was not a very good salesperson so (laughs) they were like well we great. We don't have to pay for his healthcare anymore and we only have to pay him for the summertime. Perfect. This is, this is good for us. Good for you. Um, and then my last year afterwards, you know, it was just, it was time to, to see if I could make it in this, you know, I I have so much love and respect for all, all my friends who are in the minors and, um, genuinely believed coming out of college that that could be a lifestyle for me. And maybe if I was in a bigger, market if I was in a triple-a team or a different situation maybe it would have been but I just knew with the kind of you know family life I wanted to have with the kind of you know overall life I wanted to have making fifteen twenty thousand dollars a year was not going to cut it and you know I, I had some faith in myself but you know look it, I think it could happen but it's time to find out and so it was kind of a, a jump into the deep end of the pool and uh, I, I almost drowned but i i did eventually make it with my head above water
1: well so tell me about that a little bit because i feel like a lot of us in this industry go through that uh idea of if to make a jump when to make a jump um yeah i guess those are the two options um w- w- what was what was it like i mean when you jumped off uh where was how how hard was it to find the parachute pole
0: well i I knew a couple of things early. One was I knew I wanted to be a, a sports broadcaster. I wanted to watch sports for a living. That, that was more important to me than being the voice of a major league team per se or being on ESPN or you know, any of those dream jobs. My dream job I had when I was basically 19, 20 years old. I was calling games, and I didn't have to do much else, and that, that's what I wanted. So I knew that was a reality. I also knew I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to have a family. And, you know, those two things together are, are, can be compatible, but they're not always. So, you know, those two things really drove me in my decision-making process. And, you know, again, like I said, I I knew I couldn't sustain a family life with, you know, just the salary I was making in minor league baseball. And I, you know, and, and, you know, the the flip side of it was also true that, you know, I I didn't want to just be a family guy with a nine to five job and not, have you know at least that or and have in the back of my mind that i never really took a shot so you know my wife was supportive of it at the time she was like hey just you know you go for it and um you know i had some some espn3 style web tv type games some opportunities that i got to do so i was still doing broadcasting i took a job at fox sports one on the assignment desk which was to be honest a little frustrating for me because uh anyone who hasn't worked on an assignment desk you're basically you know taking in feeds and scheduling interviews and and you're doing all the behind the scenes work and for me it was very frustrating because i'm basically watching all the people doing what i want to do being on air and not getting to partake in it um and i wasn't you know very uh i wasn't as good at the technical side as many of the people that were working around me who were extremely talented people. Just, it wasn't, wasn't what I was best at. Yeah. Um, but those relationships helped me later on down the line and eventually an all sports radio stations started in LA and an additional one. And I got a job there and it kept me afloat until the next opportunity came and then the next one and then the next one. So, you know, it, it was definitely a leap of faith. Um, but I think for for broadcasters out there who are trying to make that decision, I think you have to be really honest with yourself, you know, and, and look at your career and say, you know, if I'm at single a baseball right now and I'm making whatever my salary is, is it OK with me? Is it good for me if I have everything exactly as it is in 20 years? Because that could easily be a reality. And if that's OK, it doesn't mean you should stop striving for more things, but it means you're OK where you are now. If that's not OK for you. Then you need to take steps to change that and and it, it it comes down to being honest with yourself about what you love about this business what your goals are what your dreams are and if your dream is i want to be a major league guy then maybe you're not getting there by staying in your minor league job without taking some risks if your goal is i want to be a sports broadcaster period stop then wherever you are is allowing you to have that and you you know you you are already in your dream job. And again, don't take your foot off the gas, but don't do anything to potentially crash the car. Uh,
1: what's it like doing that in Los Angeles? I, I guess, did it give you more opportunity because of where you were, um, as long as you're willing to you know, humble yourself, I guess, and do that assignment desk work and see where that goes? Or, or was it difficult because you're in a huge market and you're trying to crack into something where there's a lot of it's people?
0: A- Yeah, it's a little of both. I mean, you know, one, it it is a huge market, so there are a lot of people within the market that want those big jobs. It's also a huge market that looks to the other markets of smaller size and tries to pick out the best people and bring them in. Uh, You know, it's not as if, you know, like uh, I, I don't know, if the if the Dodgers have an opening, they're not saying, well. Let's find uh, the five guys who are doing minor league baseball within 60 miles of LA and see which one's the best. Yeah. Now they're, they're taking a look at everybody across the spectrum. Um, so, you know, it's very competitive for me. Uh, you know, yes, there are, uh, you know, Fox is located here. ESPN has a, studio, has a studio here. NFL Network's located here. There's a lot of jobs within the industry and around the industry that you can pick up on that may or may not be on air that, that can help sustain you. Um, so it, it, it's a little of both. The one big thing for me was as I was starting to get, you know, the, the uh, Internet TV type of opportunities, a lot of the producers that I had are still my producers today on ESPN and Fox things. Mm. So, you know, those relationships were huge for me because, you know, even though I might be doing a high school you know, softball game on local cable access, my producer – in three days, is going to be the producer for ESPN. So, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but as it turned out, working hard, being professional, doing a good job there, helped put them in my corner for later opportunities in bigger places.
1: Did you ever think there was a time that it wasn't going to work out? Because um, And you said, hey, like, trying to stay afloat. Was there a gut check moment? And, and what pushed you through it?
0: For sure. There, there have been several. Um, and you know, I, I was probably maybe a month away from, you know, trying to be an accountant or sell insurance or do something else.
1: Yeah, but you were a terrible salesman. You were like I that's true. <laughs> We've established <That's>
0: true. this. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have not held that job very long, but I probably would have bounced her I you know, it, it it was certainly close. And, you know, again I, I live in a very expensive market. Um There's great things about that. You know, we're, enjoy endless sunshine and beach days and all that kind of stuff. So it's great in that regard, but it's very expensive. So, you know, you have a bottom line and for a while there, I I wasn't reaching it, Um, but I've been lucky that when I needed those opportunities the most, they seemed to find me. Um, Now for anyone out there, you know, relying on dumb luck is not the best game plan, But, you know, luck finds people who are are prepared to take advantage of opportunities. And, And I would say I do feel that when those opportunities came, I was ready because of all the steps I had taken in the interim.
1: What was the big break? What what really sprung you free?
0: there have been several the big initial one was uh this all sports radio station starting uh the beast 980 um just because it it gave me some runway it gave me some life to be on air and it wasn't doing play-by-play necessarily but it was you know again being a voice in a huge market um and, I mean, the assignment desk wasn't a lucrative job by any stretch. It was basically, you know, part-time work at, at the bottom end of the industry just for, what, you know, what my role there was. So it, it, it gave me an opportunity to really have a full-time job in sports and work and continue to try and find those extra play-by-play opportunities. So that was one. Uh, the station ended up being sold and changing formats a year and a half to two years later. And so another one was Fox Sports West, who I had been doing high school football for on web streams in the past saying, you know, hey, we, we would like you to do the main TV game. And that's my main football gig even to this day. And and that was a huge lifeline. It, it let me work with some of the really best and brightest producers and directors and, and overall, you know, crew people in Los Angeles and in the country, quite frankly, um, and have my own package and, things just kind of built from there so i think those were probably the the two biggest breaks i've had in the last five six years
1: uh i want to ask you about one thing you've done in particular as well because um i well i'm I'm curious i don't know if i've ever told you the story of how i got involved with them uh but how did you get involved doing crossfit
0: so my brother-in-law um you know we we saw him at a barbecue or some something by the beach a few years ago and he was raving about this workout thing he had done called crossfit and you know he looked like he was you know in better shape he had more energy he was happy and and you know i had just had a baby or or we were i think expecting a a child at that time and uh, our first son at that time and i was thinking you know maybe this will be fun maybe i'll i'll try it out and i went and did it and it it connected with me. So I was doing it really as a workout thing. And then one day in the gym, they just had this thing on TV called the CrossFit Games and they were on ESPN and I'm, you know, watching it and, you know, there's good graphics and, you know, I don't recognize the announcers at all. And so I asked our, uh, you know, box owner, Hey, you know, what is this and how did you know how they pick their announcers? Have you ever heard anything, of this, which is kind of a weird question that you know it's like asking at the local gym hey who put that nba thing on there who does that um but because the games at the time were held in los angeles a lot of local box owners and coaches and trainers Ah. picked up a lot of the you know outside work they were scorekeepers or they were runners and so one of them happened to have the contact info for the head honchos up in the bay area and gave it to me And I sent off an email saying, like, hey, you know, my name's Sam. I do play-by-play for this group, this group, this group. Um, I don't know if you guys have a need for anyone, but I've enjoyed seeing your stuff. And I'm wondering if you need some help. And it was right place, right time. They were kind of transitioning from – I think when CrossFit started, they had people who – didn't know a thing about broadcasting but knew crossfit and that didn't really work and then they went to people that knew broadcast casting but not crossfit and that didn't work so i was somewhat of a blend i guess and that i knew what a burpee was and i knew some of the terminology um and it, it fit it was a great place to be for for four years
1: yeah i it's what i i, I sent an email to uh, i literally emailed like contact us at crossfit.com for mine um and and wound up uh doing it last year too um, weird spot, though, in some way, because like I, I think you and I might be the only two people that were on the broadcast team that like didn't look like we could actually be games athletes.
0: That that that's generous of you to include yourself. I think I'm the only one. Who well, look no, like but
1: I like, could be. Like, <laughs> I, like I like my one rep max was like everybody else in that room's warm up bar. So <laughs> it was like it was like one of those intimidating where I was like, I feel like I don't belong here, but hey, I'm the play by play guy. Uh, what was the experience like for you being involved in that
0: it was great the first couple years i was the sideline reporter i was interviewing athletes coming off the mat um, and that was just a ton of fun because you know it was the the sport is still very much in its infancy but some of the big names are you know kind of they kind of are big names in the sense that they don't have to have multiple jobs. They're not, you know, delivering pizzas and then they show up and do CrossFit. Uh, It's their professional CrossFitters. So there's some familiarity with media, but there's still a lot of excitement about it um, for them. And uh, it it was just a lot of fun to be a part of. And then last year I moved to kind of a more hosting role and that was a lot of fun too, because you're in the, the energy of the, uh, you know, one of these arenas and having people come up to you and, you know, they're taking pictures when you're interviewing the, the big stars. And um, so it was, it was just a lot of fun. There's a lot of energy to it. Um, and, you know, to your, to your point that, you know, like I, I don't, I'm not out of, I'm not totally out of shape. I'm, you know, not uh, morbidly obese or anything.
1: No, no, we're we're, both, we're both recreational CrossFitters. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, I think, um, you know, when you do hear negative feedback from people, it's not the quote unquote real CrossFit community because it, it CrossFit's a very positive place. Yes. And so I think people, you know, even the big stars, they genuinely want people to do the sport, not because it makes them bigger or better, but because they believe in fitness and they mm. want people to be involved. So I think people were generally, you know, like, Hey, You know, they could they could tell I wasn't making stuff up. They could tell that I knew the basics and did the basics in my own personal workout. And so I think, you know, that bought me enough uh, uh, CrossFit cred to be accepted.
1: I just remember, like when we did the games, I'm like, are we on camera? And they said no. And I was like, good, because my arms are too skinny and it's going to be obvious. (laughs) "I I need to look more legit before we can do that part.
0: Um, I'm sure you could just knock out all those uh, you know the, those pull ups and burpees and stuff you know you had less body weight to have to move around whereas me I have the opposite
1: you would think that but you'd be confused <laughs> sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um what back to where you're, you're from in general you know we talked about Los Angeles and being in that market and how difficult it can be or, or helpful it can be to crack in um. Before we started doing this, you were yeah, we, I, I joked I think you're the eighth best rated play by play man in Los Angeles. Um, I forget which website that was. but uh, what did hey, like what did that mean to you when that came out and 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 what is it like to try to exist in that ecosystem and be on the air in a market so large where there is such a high expectation for quality?
0: Well, when I saw the, the article, it was uh, Tom Hofarth, who's just been a, a great media uh, critic, sports media critic, writer, columnist in Los Angeles for a long time. He'd been at the LA Daily News for a long time. Now he's at the LA Times. And I'm not sure if that article was specifically in the Times or just on his blog that's kind of associated with it. But regardless, you know, it, it's like having, you know, for me at least, it's like having Siskel and Ebert say your movie's good, It you know, mm-hmm. it. Having that kind of validation was huge for me um, just from a, a confidence standpoint, um, you know, to be recognized with, you know, great, great broadcasters like Brian Seaman and Joe Davis and, uh, you know, just some of the, the best guys in the number two mark in the country and this industry. So, you know, from a confidence standpoint, that was huge. Um, in terms of surviving in a, in a market like this, you know, I, have been very lucky. I think if, um, you know, I hadn't been able to cobble together almost this exact grouping of jobs, it'd be very hard to exist financially here. And I could go, you know, somewhere else and and try and make it work. Um, but you know, the, that presents challenges as, as well. So, you know, I, I've been very lucky with the the blend of work I've been able to put together at Fox and with ESPN and, and places like CrossFit and, and different things like that to um, you know make it work. But I, to have uh, you know my peers here in LA, um, you know at least not say who the heck is this guy on this list and why is he here. Uh, you know, is, is a a nice confidence building thing. And you need confidence in this business. I mean, you know, if, if you don't think you're good enough to have those jobs, no one else is going to think you are either. Uh, And it's not to say before the article came out, I didn't think I was, you know, capable of having, you know, that dream, 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 dream job one day. I feel like I already have my dream job, but you know what I mean? Having, having something like a, a, a major league baseball or NBA job, I thought it was possible Having someone like Tom Hofarth write you know it's more than possible It's
1: um let's talk mechanics of it all uh, why do you like what about you got you that high? What's so great about the way you approach a broadcast? What do you think makes a good broadcast and, and i and I guess I mean that more than not not what's good but what separates what's great from good? how do you approach it um, in in a way to differentiate yourself?
0: want me to tell you why i'm so cele- hey, everybody look how good i am at <laughs>
1: everybody this. come look how good i talk
0: <laughs> um the the things i think that i've always felt i do well um one is is prep um i you know before i knew i wanted to be a broadcaster there were kind of breadcrumbs to it like my holiday and birthday gifts growing up were always sports almanacs which i would just read for fun And, uh, you know, not like, hey, let's read the story about Michael Jordan. But, you know, let's dive into, you know, all the stats from the 1979 NCAA hockey tournament. You know, just I I liked numbers. I like stats. I like the stories. Um, So prep was always something that wasn't work for me. It was fun for me. And so, you know, when I get an assignment, if I have two weeks, to prep for a game, I'm going to take two weeks to prep for a game and and I enjoy that part of it. So I think that's one thing that I, I do well. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that I'm a good teammate. Um, I really, you know, genuinely care about how we sound as a team and how we, you know, present a broadcast and not just hoard stuff for myself. Um, and that's not to say that I think every broadcaster does it, but you know, You you can watch a game sometimes and hear a story come from one member of the broadcast team and think, you know, that might have been better presented if the sideline reporter did it or if the color commentator said it or if the play-by-play guy did it. And I try really hard to, you know, when I come across a good story or a good piece of information, if I think someone else on our team can promote it better, you know, that's how I I try and – deliver it. I try to make sure it goes to that person. Um, so, you know, those two things and, and also networking, uh, networking is huge in this business. Um, I think it, it comes along with being a good teammate. If, if you're, you know, just networking because you think so-and-so is going to help you get a job, you know, what's the reason for that person to help you. But if you're, you know, getting to know people and incorporating them into your, your personal life and your circle of friends, And genuinely you know want to give favors back to them then they're gonna do favors for you and and i think um you know i i i like to think that i'm i've been successful in that area of the industry uh
1: how do you uh how are you a good teammate like what's the what's the best way to be a good teammate and how do you uh best foster those relationships with the people you work with even if it is for a one-off as a broadcast or i guess maybe more
0: importantly if it's for a one-off Yeah, I mean, you know, one is to try not to make it a one-off. You know, when I, I've been very lucky to work uh, with ESPN and do some, uh, you know, broadcasts where my producer or director is not in the same venue as me. You know, they're off in some studio, you know, back on the East Coast in a lot of cases. And I try and, you know, keep in touch with those people long after our game has, has been aired and knowing full well that, you know, this person's, really a a major league baseball producer and just was, you know, doing someone a favor, picking up the late Mountain West game or Pac-12 game or whatever it was they were doing with me. But, you know, trying to go back to them for feedback and getting to know them as, as people and, and, you know, figure out what things I can do better. In some cases they're, you know, younger producers or up and comers and tell them, Hey, here's some things that I really liked about what you did. And here's some things that I've seen from your older contemporaries that they, did slightly differently and, and you know, try and give them whatever feedback they want just as I'm looking for it from them. And then with your on-air partners, you know, it helps when you've worked with them a lot, but again, you know, telling them the things, you know, trying to be honest with them, not say, hey, you know, you suck at this, but it's more like, hey, here's the things that you did really well that, you know, I just love when we work together and I hope we get a chance to do it again. But, you know, if I can help you, let me know. And then the third part of it is is really you know when you have something that is you know a really good story you know say say you're doing a football game and you you find something in the tape uh, you know a a tendency for a certain player something you really like you want to talk to your color commentator ahead of time and make sure like hey I'm going to bring this up with you do you feel the same way I do and whether their answer is yes or no that's great because it's a conversation you can have Uh, and especially for me doing a lot of high school football or, you know, non uh, NFL level stuff. Um, You know, those are good conversations that end up resonating with producers and making the color commentator look good and hopefully makes me look good uh, as well.
1: How do you, uh, how do you best not surprise your analyst in situations like that? Like how much stuff will you go through ahead of time and how will you go through it ahead of time so that, it's still fresh when you use it on the air. Um, how do you kind of plan those things out in advance?
0: I think a good rule of thumb is, you know, if you're doing some kind of like self-deprecating type of thing, or you know, maybe maybe something that could per- be perceived as a shot, but it's really meant as a joke. Give the person a heads up. Don't let them be caught by surprise because you might not like the reaction.
1: Yeah, um, been there. Even,
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> e- even if it's something like say like, hey, I'm going to make a joke here and it's going to be at your expense, but we know each other, so just so you know, this is coming at you. You know, even those kinds of things can can help, and you you know you hope your sense of humor is in line with them. Um, and then you know, in terms of you know stuff happening within a game. You know, even before a game, talking to them, what are things that you like about the way this team plays or their style of defense or what would you want to break down? And knowing that ahead of time, because color commentators, you know, they kind of have carte blanche to talk about whatever they want, but it does sound better when it's part of a natural conversation. And we as the play-by-play broadcasters generally kickstart a lot of conversations. I mean, you know, not every uh, commentator is Bill Walton where they're just going to go in whatever direction they want. Most of them, either want some kind of prodding or want some kind of conversation starter. So, you know, it can go both ways. It's, it's not just, Hey, I saw that this team, when they play zone defense, you know, there seems to be a quirk here. You want to break that down, but also, Hey, what do you see when you watch the tape or when you, we were at shoot around, what do you take away from it that you want to talk about so I can set you up?
1: What's your, your greater prep beyond that? Like, uh, particularly in a high school setting, um, how much information do you need to be comfortable, and how do you get it?
0: Well, I, I am a, a stat hound, so max preps is helpful when teams have used it, um, but I try not to be too dependent on it. I, I think I'm a little OCD in my prep, in that, you know, if I don't have all the games up to date, you know, two, three days in advance, I start to get a little worried. I'm contacting my producer saying, hey, can you see if this coach is going to update max preps this week so I can calm down or how come we have so last week's stats,
1: me- but we don't have two weeks ago stats. And-
0: exactly. You know, you know, the drill. So why that, was the quarterback
1: what, playing running back? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the, the perils of, uh, of being, uh, you know, doing a lot of high school games uh, as well. Um, You know, I I do like stories, so I, you know, I probably look like a a stalker to a lot of these, you know, particularly when I'm doing high school football, a lot of high school kids. But, you know, kids, people in general like stories about themselves. They like positive press. (laughs) And so, you know, rather than searching every single publication in L.A. and the greater SoCal area and the country that could be covering these kids, sometimes just looking at their Twitter feed to see what they've retweeted is helpful. Hmm. We're seeing who's offered them is helpful. Cause they're going to say it. They're not shy about it in most cases. Um, so that's a good way to, to get information and get stories. Um, you know, coaches calls help, but I really am a big believer. You gotta, you have to prep for a coach's call. You can't come on and say, Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> do you have any human interest stories for me? Cause most of them, you know, are just going to blow that question. I'm like, oh, this guy wants me to do his homework for him. Um, whereas if you come on and say, hey, I heard your offensive lineman's dad went through a really, you know, traumatic uh, injury, you know, a year ago, and the whole family's been rallying around. Can you tell me what it's been like supporting the Coaches love talking about that stuff, especially high school coaches. And I would think it would correspond to college and other levels too. So if you know if you're trying to put a human interest story twist on your broadcast, you know you have to find that information first rather than expect someone to just give it to you.
1: How much do you talk to the kids? Not a ton.
0: Um, I try to respect their their. Privacy and the fact that they're 16, 17 year old kids, it, it, assuming this is high school football we're yeah, talking yeah. about, you know, college sports, you have more access. And, um, you know, I, I do try and have conversations with the athletes themselves, and there's more, they're adults, they're over 18, There there's some expectation that they'll know what they're, um, you know, supposed to say and supposed not to say. Um, but with high school, you know, you want to protect them from making mistakes. And there are certainly, you know high school players who um have bad reps um you know the you know the coach maybe will roll his eyes when when you start to ask about them or you know they're not a great attitude or great student or there's some red flags there but that's not my job to call them out on i i don't want to be the person that you know cost a kid a scholarship or an opportunity you know if the thing is bad enough it's going to cost them <laughs> it themselves um but I don't need to publicize the negative stuff. Um, I only—I I, want to be positive out there and up there in the booth.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is like, not that—not that you would be overtly negative in another place, but it, like, is there a difference in the way that you approach a high school game versus a college game?
0: Yeah, I mean, for one, the, the, the stats are not reliable, so you, you can't rely on them quite as much. And, and also, you know, what you're talking about is very different. When you're calling a college game, um, you know, you got to think about your audience. You're typically either talking to the fans of the program you're working for or the fans of, you know – just football in general. Like if, it, you know, if I'm doing a college football game for ESPN, it's different than if I'm doing it for the school itself. When you are doing high school. Most of your audience is either the friends and family of, you know, the players or generally speaking, fans of college football who want to see who's next. And I'm very lucky, you know, being in Southern California. You know, we have more great programs and great recruits than I would say any other part of the country. I mean, especially here, you know, we've got modern day and St. John Bosco and our kids are going all over the country. So So that
1: makes it easier a bit, too.
0: Yes. Oh, definitely. So, you know, we've got last couple of years I've had uh, some combination at least three or four times a season of modern day, St. John Bosco, Bishop Gorman and IMG Academy. And if none of those names are familiar to you, you're probably not a big college football fan. Because if you are, you've seen those names on kids' bios all the time. Mm. I mean, everyone—literally everyone—on the field is going to play at a D1 program. So the football is is great. Um, But again, you know, you you know you're talking to that audience, and so the way you handle players, the way you prep is definitely different from. Say if I were doing a, a USC UCLA game, you know, one day, you know that that's a game that is important in and of itself. Um, and not to say that the modern day St. John Bosco one isn't, because they're playing for state championships and things that are important to them. But your audience maybe doesn't care about that as much as they care about, hey, that kid, that kid that's playing quarterback might be my quarterback in two years, so I want to hear stories about him.
1: Um, and that probably and that becomes your story narrative is really as much as you're talking about the current, you're almost projecting more in that kind of a role.
0: You are. And you you also want to do your due diligence for all the kids that are not going to be you know, big stars one day. I mean, it. I, I was a very mediocre high school athlete, but I remember how big a deal it was when the local paper misspelled my name in the mm-hmm. agate type when I, you know, scored in our, our basketball game or played well in a tennis match or whatever it was. It's a big deal. So for those kids who it might be the one time that their game is ever televised, you want to get stories right and you want to tell those positive things about the kid who you know who, who's overcome something we had we had a game last year where uh the kid's sister had passed away within Ooh. two weeks of the game and you know the the coaches talked about how they you know he has to miss practices for funerals and just terrible terrible stuff but the kid is such uh you know a, a bright kid and a good athlete He'll, he ended up getting a scholarship at i think a mountain west school so you know a, a big program but he's not going to alabama or anything But those stories, those moments, they're important to tell well. And that's really something that not just me, but our entire crew works hard on.
1: How much do you listen back?
0: I watch a lot of replays, but, you know, my games are replayed late at night and I've got two kids under three. So sometimes there's a late night seating or (laughs) a a diaper change or something and I'll just flip it on while I'm staying up and I'll watch for a while. Um, Stop crying. Daddy's on. that's right (laughs) i i i try to you know i don't know i i'm i'm not so much watching to critique you know how i call plays because so much of that is in the moment and you know you know you can learn by seeing things over and over but you can't you know recreate a, a specific moment on the field but things that are mechanical that i'm doing week in week out i i do try and watch and see you know Am I sounding better? Am I throwing properly? Am I looking in the right direction for our opens, for our half times, for our post game shows? I think those are, are good things to take note of how you're doing it and try and compare yourself to the people you want to be compared with.
1: What are the things that uh you I guess maybe currently most watch for when you watch something back?
0: Hmm. It's a good question. Um you know, a lot of the time you're looking for stuff that you can put on a reel. So yeah. you know, are, are my calls clean? Um, I've been lucky to work with the same color commentator in, in football and, and a, a, a pretty consistent group in basketball as well for the last couple of years. So, you know, we kind of have a good understanding of when people are going to talk and when they're not. But, you know, making sure I'm not stepping on people, highlighting the color commentators and their different individual styles. Things like that are, are things that I want to pay attention to in game and then pre and post game shows just being clean, you know, not stumbling over words, not having awkward pauses or breaths or things like that. Just trying to be clean, because when you look at the people doing it at the top, top, top of the industry, they are always perfect, or at least it seems that way. Um, and so I you, you want to emulate that.
1: What's the uh, what's the end goal at this point for Sam Farber?
0: I like to think I have it, but you know, I think if you ask my <laughs> say, wife, yeah, you said say you had no. your dream
1: job, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, I I tell people when they ask if you put a contract in front of me that said I would do exactly what I'm doing now, you know, I I probably call somewhere in the neighborhood of. I don't know, 50, 60 events a year through different networks, you know, on, on traditional TV or streaming or whatever it might be. But, you know, that's generally about my total for the year. And, um, you know, on air events, maybe close to 100. So if you gave me a contract and said I could do that for the next 20 years, even without a raise, I would sign it instantly. The tough thing about being a freelancer is there's very little guarantee. You know, year to year, you're always at the mercy of, does the program director, has it changed? Uh, did the package change? Is this going to be televised anymore? Are they, you know, what's what's going to be different? Um, so that level of uncertainty is something that I would like at some point to, to not be there quite so much. But at the same time, you know, I have been lucky to, to build year to year. You know, I tend to get more games, not less. I tend to have more opportunities, not fewer. And, you know, if I can continue in that Trajectory, that's great. Um, but of course, like anyone, you know, I, I look at a major league baseball job or or basketball job as a be all end all, not because I think it's so much better than what I'm doing now. I genuinely love what I'm doing now. I look at it as being so much better because there is a level of sustainability that doesn't exist when you're a freelancer. Mm. And that's something that's very attractive to me. As a father of two kids who has to pay for things and help support, you know, you know my wife uh, is an outstanding uh, worker and, and, and provider as well. So we've been lucky in that regard. But, you know, it would be great to know this is coming back every year unless I do something colossally stupid. Um, you know, that, that would make me more comfortable.
1: Uh, how do people find you if they want to?
0: If they want to, I'm on Twitter at Sam Farber Live and uh, i try and you know tweet out where i'm gonna be and you know what network i'm on um next up for me i'm doing uh, tbt basketball in a month doing the basketball tournament that two million dollar winner take all i'm looking forward to that and then we'll see what uh, the fall has in store
1: uh sam i appreciate the time man this was fun uh so thanks for thanks for hopping on and uh diving into it a little bit with us this week
0: Absolutely, Joel. I'm sorry I won't get to see it, the CrossFit Games. But you and me, we can both continue to work hard and hopefully make the, uh, you know, if they allow two younger guys in the 80 and under competition, I think we've got a shot.
1: No, my goal is when they in, when they institute the scaled division. Uh, I, I am the current 2003 fittest scaled man on earth. So I'm I've only there you to, go. I've only got to climb a uh, hundred and. A uh, nineteen hundred and a ninety more spots to to make it to the games. So
0: I, I like to put my goals at whatever the people in the oldest division have to do, <laughs> and if I can keep up with you know at least the top hundred in that area, then maybe I'll have a shot to sustain that level. Still, you know, life goals.
1: All right, that is Sam Farber joining us here. If you want to check out any of his work, by the way, uh, samfarber.com has his complete resume on it, or you can find him on any of his outlets, Fox Sports West, ESPN, uh, Fox or Fox Sports 1. Uh, you can find him in a myriad of places uh, when it comes to particularly you know, the high school broadcasting space and um, the college broadcasting space out in the Pacific in California. Uh, So many thanks to Sam for uh, hopping on and and doing this this week with us. Uh, I am in Spain next week, so there is no episode. We will be back at it the week after that. So we are on a 14-day hiatus. My advanced apologies. But a 14-day hiatus, and then Play-By-Play cast will return. So over the next two weeks, let what you just heard sink in. Good information in terms of Prepping, particularly on the high school level. I, th- I thought when, when, when the information is not always out there, how do you get your best stuff? Take that away from this week. Let that marinate. And we'll be back at it in two weeks here on PXP Cast. I'm Joel Gaudet. Thanks for listening. We are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.